while uh, we were in Thailand several years ago, um, we were in Chiang Mai, and uh, right outside our hotel, they had all of these wonderful booths, booths, that's a hard word to say, uh, and uh, they sold uh, what the gentleman claimed, he said, these are genuine Nike shoes. And, and by the way, in case you didn't know, the chairman of, of Nike just confirmed it's Nike, it's not Nike. So all these years, most of us have been saying it wrong, but it's not Nike, it's Nike, but these are genuine ones. He says, oh yeah, we make them here in Thailand and these are genuine. So I'm bargaining with him and I got him down to six bucks, which isn't bad for a pair of Nikes genuine article. I uh, brought him up and Denise said, great. Do they have any women's? And went out the next day and bargained, got her a pair for $5. So this is wonderful. So we got our genuine, they looked really good and, and he assured us they were the genuine article. So uh, we, we certainly believed them. Um, and I recall uh, Denise wore her brand new pair of Nikes to the airport when we we're flying out and we're at the airport in Hong Kong and she says, look, and the entire soul had come undone and was flapping. Uh, <laughs> we, threw, we threw them away. Uh, I wasn't wearing mine, so I decided not to wear my genuine Nikes uh, until we got home. Um, and uh, it was the second time I put them on, um, I, I reached down and, and the tongue was kind of up, you know, and how you pull the, the tongue back. Well, anyway, I, I pulled the tongue so it would straighten up and it comes right out. <laughs> so my genuine Nikes lasted uh, two times. Uh, clearly, uh, they looked real. I was assured that they were the genuine article, but they were counterfeit. They, they were bogus, they were imitations, uh, they were frauds. Uh, so uh, I, I learned a lesson, uh, just because someone says something is true, it doesn't necessarily make that to be the case uh, in what you're buying. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, where we're gonna be today, it records another counterfeit, only this is a counterfeit religion. The satanic trinity, engineers, uh, something that looks a little bit or maybe even a lot like Christianity and lots of nice people will get sucked into this counterfeit, imitation, phony, bogus sham, this fake, and they'll believe in it and they'll follow it with all their heart. Revelation 17 records how this counterfeit falls apart just like my Nike shoes, just like Denise's Nike shoes. We're going to read the first six verses out loud together. Would you stand with me? Uh, as the counterfeit falls apart. This is God's word. Let's out loud declare it together. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. 
there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads, ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Let's pray. Lord, this is a wild picture that you've painted and had John record for us. So we just acknowledge that this, this is pretty wild. So we're going to need your help today. Well, we need your help to understand what it is that's going on here in Revelation chapter 17. Uh, and we're going to need your help to understand how on earth that relates to us. So, Lord, would you come right now and uh, give us wisdom and illuminate our hearts and our minds today concerning your book through the power of your spirit. We acknowledge right now this book is alive and quick and powerful and able to cut deeply to the core of our beings. Lord, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness as you see fit, Lord. Lord, we want to pause right now and uh, pray. Uh, pray as Bob just did for our, our, our friend, my big sister, Jean. I pray for your blessing on her. Uh, I, I pray for uh, uh, the Womack family as Bob gets settled in there at Boulder Park. And Lord, I pray that he'd get uh, strong and I pray that the rehab would go well. Um, and Lord, I also want to pray for uh, the Kruger family. Lord, uh, we're grateful that Greg came here and uh, was excited about your son Jesus and was strong. And Lord, we're grateful to know that, that Greg Kruger is right now in your presence and doing really well. Uh, but Lord, uh, that leaves Judy and lots of folks really sad right now. So I want to pray for healing I want to pray for comfort, Lord. I want to pray for strength for, for Judy and all of those who are mourning and hurting today. And Lord, may we as that church family rally around them. Help us to do well, to show your love uh, to, uh, to this part of the body that's, that's hurting right now. Lord, we, uh, we desperately need your spirit. We need it today as we study Revelation 17. The truth is, we need it every single day of every hour. So, Lord, help us to get in the habit of not just doing this on Sunday mornings. My prayer is that we would let you come and rule and be the king and take charge and drive uh, and sit behind the steering wheel of our lives all week long. We ask that you might do that today. You come and take charge in your church. May streams of living water flow from your spirit today. And Lord, we want you to be in charge. We want you to be in control. We do best. It's been proven over and over and over again. 
Lord, that there's life and joy and good fruit when you're sitting on the throne. So uh, we invite you once again to take that place you deserve all the time. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with joy in their hearts. You may be seated. Satan, the dragon, the devil, that old serpent is an expert and clever and skilled counterfeiter. Um, and I, I just want to show you a bit. We've already seen several examples, but just know that his major scheme in the seven years of tribulation, which we've been looking at for the past several months, is to present to the world subtle counterfeits, uh, fakes, frauds, um, imposters that appear to be on the surface the genuine article. So that's what he's been doing. Uh, just go back to chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 if you have your Bible. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, uh, we are introduced to the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, who appears at first to be a man of peace, but by the time we get to chapter 13, we see his true nature. He's not a man of peace. He is a fake, a wannabe Jesus, power-hungry, murderous, lying, enslaving tool of Satan, is what he really is. And when you get to chapter 13, he shows his true colors. Um, in Revelation 13, 13, 13, 3, excuse me, 13, 3, um, the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, pretends there is a pretend or a fake counterfeit resurrection. It says there, verse 3, that appeared that he might have a fatal wound, dead, and it appeared... <clears throat> that he recovered. Uh, like I'm saying, this is a counterfeit. This is a fake. This is a trick. And he wants to look like he is Jesus in resurrection mode. Chapter 12, chapter 13, counterfeit trinity. Satan masquerading as God the Father. The Antichrist pretending to be Jesus, the second person of the trinity. The false prophet counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter 17 of Revelations introduces us to the counterfeit church. Think with me now. Worldwide, religious system, manipulated, controlled by the satanic trinity. And that's what we see here in chapter 17 of Revelation. It's outwardly very similar to biblical Christianity, but at core, it's a fraud, it's a scheme. It's an imposter. It's a counterfeit. And here's the sad thing. We know from Scripture, billions and billions of people will buy into it, will believe it, will embrace it, and think that it's the real thing. Uh, the true church of Jesus is depicted as the pure bride of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 7 and 8, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. How do we know this isn't the real thing? Uh, just go look at Revelation 17, and you'll see four times this church, this worldwide religious system, is referred to as a what? Prostitute. Yeah, you can say that in church because the Bible says it, okay? Uh, calls her, maybe your translation calls it 
a harlot. Uh, someone who gets into bed with someone for money. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. The counterfeit world religion gets in bed with the satanic trinity for power and prestige and riches and control. You tracking? So it, it, it's just like a prostitute. They, they get in bed and they do things that they know they shouldn't be doing because they want the good stuff, the power, the prestige, the riches. Um, before we jump into this passage, there's a uh, phrase here. It's, it's called the spirit of Babylon. It says uh, this counterfeit religious system is the spirit of Babylon. And I want to tell you a little bit about that before we, we dive in. Uh, because Satan even today uses the spirit of Babylon today to trick and fool. He uses it effectively today in 2015. So if you're taking notes, here it is. Uh, here's the counterfeit lie that he says. Put your faith, your trust, your effort into this man-made system and this religious system made and created by Satan, manufactured by the satanic trinity, it will save you. It's believing in self-effort. And I'm going to earn salvation. And I am going to trust the religious system to get me to eternal life. And that is, at core, what it means to trust in this religious system. Um, where do you see that in the Bible? If you go back to the Old Testament, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets, uh, they were constantly ripping in to the Jews in the Old Testament. Why? Because you're just playing the Old Testament religious games with the law. You're, you're following all the rules that you want to follow, and you're, you've got this meticulous system going on, but your hearts in relationship to Jehovah God are ice cold. You have no relationship. It's just rules. It's just religion. It's just cold and ugly. And when you get to the New Testament, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were meticulous. They were wonderful rule keepers. They were great at their man-made system. You can only walk so many steps on the Sabbath. And if you reach your, your number of steps that they made up, because uh, that would be work if you take one more, then you just have to sit there and wait till sundown. I mean, they had games. They played all sorts of games. And again, Jesus said, you're all about your man-made rules, but they missed the Savior. Is that not amazing? They missed the Jesus, but they were all about their rules. God's Word says, trust a system, trust a set of man-made rules, and earn your way through the system, and the system will reward you with good stuff, with perhaps, maybe, eternal life. What does Matthew 7, verse 13 say about that? Anybody know Matthew 7, 13? Broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. That's the broad road I just described, okay? You work, you earn, you, you work, you follow man-made rules, make up some rules, just get really good at the system, and that system, I'm telling you, leads to destruction. The narrow road, Christ tells us, the only road that leads to life 
is not trusting a system, it's trusting who? Anybody? It's trusting a Savior. It's trusting Jesus Christ. So you got rules, man-made system, and all world religions have that. It's earn it, work, achieve, get busy, and then you have biblical Christianity, Matthew 7, 14, narrow road. Don't trust rules. You need a relationship with who? Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship that brings eternal life. It's knowing Jesus and trusting what he did for you on the cross and believing that he took your place in the tomb and believing that early on Sunday morning he rose from the dead and then inviting him to be your Savior, your Lord. It's a daily personal relationship. That's the narrow road. And listen, Balcony, not many people follow the narrow road. It's so much more tempting to follow the wide road, the broad road that leads to destruction. And I'm just telling you, Revelation 17, billions of people buy into the broad road religious system that the satanic trinity uh, presents. Let's go now. Let's break it down. Verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, Revelation 17. Uh, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters with the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. (laughs) Every time you see a woman in Revelation, it's talking about religion. It's talking about a system of belief. Um, How do you know that? Well, let me me just give you some, some verses. You can write them down and look them up. 220 of Revelation. 12-1, 19-1, and 2, 19-7 and 8, 21-9, and all over here in chapter 17. It's a religion, sometimes false, sometimes true, but women in Revelation, when it's symbolic, represents a belief system. Sometimes real belief system, sometimes a false belief system. Verse 2, look at it. This worldwide religious system has gotten into bed with the kings of the world. And just like people who drink too much, when you drink too much, what happens? Anybody? I'm not thinking so clear. I've lost control. I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing. That's what happens when the worldwide religious system gets into bed with the kings of the world. Verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones, pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Can you imagine? John's looking at this. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Okay, Um, what is the prostitute sitting on? Verse 3. The, the prostitute, the harlot, 
uh, the false religious system is sitting on uh, riding the, what is it? The beast. <laughs> and if you go back to Revelation 13, what is the beast? The beast is the Antichrist. So you have, uh, and I was going to have Peter come up here and I would sit on him, but I decided to spare him uh, the indignity of such. But uh, again, the idea is they, they are cooperating together. Uh, they are working together. They are making progress together. Uh, that's the idea here, okay? The worldwide religious system is now riding on the back of the beast, the Antichrist. Verse 4, dressed in the colors of royalty, dressed in power and prestige. And the things that this, this system is drinking is filthy and abominable. And it's, it's from a golden cup, again, like royalty. Verse 5, this is where you get the spirit of Babylon. The, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great. Um, where is that? What does that mean? What, what is, is it a place? What, what does it mean? If you go back to Genesis 11 with me, you're welcome to do that if you have your Bible. In Genesis 11, this is where it all started. Um, there was uh, this place called Babel or Babylon. And in Genesis 11, this is where it all started, um, the folks decided um, that they were going to build a system. They weren't going to follow Jehovah God, but in defiance and rebellion against the Lord, we're going we're gonna to build our own worship tower. We're, we're going to show everybody that we can do it ourselves. And in pride and rebellion against God's way, they're going to build this tower and say, watch, this is our symbol. We can do it ourselves. We don't need Jehovah God. Look at this tower. Uh, now, whether they were literally trying to build a tower to heaven or if they were just showing that, look at us, we can build this great man-made artifice I suspect it was more that. But I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to show you, God, I don't want to follow your way. I want to do my own thing over here. That's the spirit of Babylon. That, that's, it's that man-made rebellion. I'm not going to do it your way, God. I want to do it my own way. Now, verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So Satan's church was the tool that the Antichrist used to slaughter, to persecute genuine followers of Jesus. Did you catch that? What was the tool? It was this, this organized worldwide religious system, and they were the ones that the Antichrist used to slaughter and kill and martyr thousands and thousands, perhaps ten thousands and, and even millions of Christ followers who wouldn't take the mark of the beast. The false church, give me your eyes, has always been the number one enemy of the biblical real bride of Christ. I don't know if you know that, but but False Christianity, specifically, abhorrent 
cultish Christianity has killed more Christians, genuine Christians, than any other false religion. Sometimes we get all worked up about the other ones, but I'm just telling you, over, over church history, it, it's, it's abhorrent, uh, non-biblical believing Christianity that is most threatened by biblical Christianity. Um, God hates world religion because of what it does to people. It leads them where? It leads them, where does the broad road lead? Anybody? To destruction, to, to the lake of fire. Uh, the false world religion hates Christianity because of what it does for people. It leads them away from them. They have no control, and now they're left heading all by themselves to the lake of fire. False Christianity has murdered more people than the world has ever done throughout church history. Um, counterfeit, faulty, imitation uh, religion even today it's all about, we, we want to do stuff that sounds biblical, that sounds close, but it's not. Let me give you an example. Uh, Islam says, give your son for God. Let them strap a bomb to their chest, and then they will be rewarded with 72 virgins. Biblical Christianity says God gave his son for you, for eternal life. Do you see how it gets twisted? God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us for eternal life. And they're saying, no, 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 you need to give your son for God. Um, that's man's attempts at pleasing God and doing it his own way. Verse 7. Then the angel said to me, uh, why are you astonished, John? <laughs> why, why is your mouth wide open? Uh, I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Well, what's going on there? <laughs> uh, John couldn't believe that this beast with this prostitute, they're masquerading as the bride of Christ. And I'm just telling you, this is Satan's plan, and it's working out perfectly. And John is like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, I think John is grossed out as he sees what's going on. Verse 8, the angel explains, I want to show you, this fake resurrection, which you've already seen back in verse 3, chapter 13, uh, Satan, uh, excuse me, the Antichrist appears to be wounded in the head, seemed to have a fatal wound, but is healed. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about, it, it seems because it, it once was, now is not, yet will come. It, it's referencing, it seems, back to that fatal wound. Verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. You've you got to think strong and clear here. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Uh, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the other and has not yet come. But when it does come, it must remain for only a little while. 
the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. This is probably the hardest section here. So uh, let, let me slow down a bit and tell you um, it, it's a little unclear, uh, but it does say seven hills represent seven kings. Go back, look, verse 9, seven hills represent seven kings. Not verse 9 and 10. Um, some people see Roman kings, starting with Julius Caesar, ending up with Domitian, uh, reigning when John was writing, probably. Um, mountains also re refer to governments. Psalm 37 makes that clear. That's how I would interpret this. I think he's talking about the seven world powers. And the seven world powers, I could take an hour, and I'm not going to do that because I've only got like 17 minutes left, but uh, the, the seven powers uh, start with Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. Those are the first five. What was the world power when John was writing? Rome. So that's number six. Uh, so he's saying there's another one coming, and that's when the Antichrist comes. And, and I think what he's saying is the Antichrist comes seven, appears to die, comes back eight. So that's where that seven and eight comes from, I believe. So he's looking forward, and when the Antichrist comes, he's going to be that seventh one. Um, and if you go back to history, every one of those world powers, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, brought in a false religious system with it. And most of the world at that time bought into that religious system. Tragic, awful results every time. Um, verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast, the Antichrist. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb. The lamb is who? Jesus. Uh, that's Revelation 19. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Who's that? That's us. <laughs> hey, we're finally here. Isn't it good news? We've been all these weeks and months, and, and it's, it's coming, coming, and it's not us. Uh, we just made our appearance, y'all. Isn't that good? So when I get there, uh, act excited, okay? I'm going to read it one more time. Uh, going to wage war against the Lamb. He's going to triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. You know what? Cabrera could strike out and get better than that. Really. Um, I'm going to give you another run because this is us we're called, we're chosen, we're faithful. We're coming back with the Lamb, Revelation 19. And man, just imagine, and we're going to get there. That's the best part. I can't wait for Revelation 19. But we're going to come back, and wow, look at all the armies of the world, and, and the King of Kings, and the Lord, with just words from his mouth, is going to win the war. Okay, so now, now you understand a little more, so you can get more excited. Uh, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and he's King of kings 
and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. That's us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! Yeah! It's about time we made it there. Yeah. And, and we're here. And that's good. Uh, verse 15. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, na nations, and languages. It's, it's everybody. It's everybody who didn't accept uh, Jesus Christ. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. Okay? So now they've done their work. They, they've, they've killed uh, all the martyrs. Um, they will bring her then to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Well, how's that for gratitude? Think about it. Uh, this system has done their dirty work, ha has literally been their tool to destroy followers of Jesus, and now when they're done with her, they ruin her, they destroy her, they toss her to the side. And I just want you to know, that's exactly how Satan treats his followers. We've already seen that. If you go back to Revelation chapter 9, uh, in the fifth and the sixth trumpets, uh, the demonic locusts torture their own followers. And then they kill one-third of their followers. So how does Satan treat his followers? He tortures them, he uses them, he abuses them, and then he tosses them to the side. And you see that in the Gospels as well. Uh, when in Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 9, demonic possession, where one of Satan's demons possesses a human being, it, it, there's no love with a demon for the person he possesses. They hate human beings. Why? Because we were made in the image and the likeness of our God. And he hates humans, and he's trying to destroy humans. So when he possesses humans, it's never for our good. He inflicts pain and misery, and then he casts you to the side and kills you if possible. Um, but that leaves us with the, the next verse. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. Just pause. What, what is he saying here? But God has put into their hearts, who's their hearts? Uh, the satanic trinity, uh, even the false religious system, and they are following the Lord's uh, purpose, and they're agreeing to hand over the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. I just want you to know that even in the midst of this ugly picture of Babylon, the prostitute, getting cast aside, you know who's fully in control here over all of this? It's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is sovereign. He is incredible. He is all-powerful. And our Lord Jesus is miraculously working perfectly and enticing the satanic trinity to destroy the very religious system that they have created. It would be a little bit like rubbing um, 
peanut butter on a tiger's tail and enticing the tiger to bite his own tail off. That's sort of what Jesus has done here, and he's awesome, and it's a really clever tiger and, and pretty powerful tiger, but he's so awesome that he works this out, and they don't even realize they're being played. Why do we have this recorded? Because we need to be reminded who's in charge today. We need to, to know down to our core that our God is in control and he's out for our good and he knows what he's doing and he's never failed us, not even once. Turn with me in closing to Romans chapter 8, would you please? Romans chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, uh, maybe somebody will let you look on. Romans chapter 8. This is a well-known section, and there's a reason why it's so well-known. I'm going to read verse 28 down to verse 32. I'm just telling you, if, if you are in the habit of underlying, underline worthy verses. Are you there? Here we go. And we know that in all things, how many things? God works for the, of those who, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he's going to glorify. Now, this is kind of fun because Paul says all these words, writes them down, and then sits back and says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If that's true, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us how many things? Everything we need. Everything we need. <laughs> when friends of mine who love Jesus uh, um, have a business that fails, and I know some of you have experienced that, um, sometimes we wonder, Lord, d didn't you see? I I'm one of your kids, and I really love you, and I'm living strong. D do you know what you're doing here? When, uh, when someone who loves Jesus uh, has the doctor walk in and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, those tests we took, it shows cancer. And you're going to need lots of chemo and lots of radiation, and, and I hope we can get it all. You know, we ask, Lord, are, are, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Um, when... when uh, Families fall apart when marriages die, when one spouse has been unfaithful repeatedly over and over and over again, and now the other spouse says, I don't think I can trust you anymore. And there's divorce, and there's children, and there's... Lord, um, are you really sure you, you know what you're doing? Um, here's, here's the verses I love to, to look to. Um, Lord, we don't pretend to understand what's going on. We don't even pretend that we like it. But we want you to know we know 
that you know what you're doing. You're out for our what? Good. He's a good God, and he's good all the time, even when I don't get it. And I personally think like the first 10,000 years of eternity, the Lord is going to kind of lay out the picture, the things we don't understand. I don't know, but this is kind of what I like to think. And he's just going to say, well, look, I, I did this, and this bad thing happened, and watched how I weaved this out, and this person came to me, and this situation worked itself out, and we'll smack our foreheads and say, I should have had a V8. No, we're going to say, brilliant, brilliant, Lord. <laughs> you're awesome. Uh, so if you're in one of those situations right now, that doesn't make good sense to you, and, and I'm telling you, a good number of you are right now, I, I point to the awesome wisdom of Jesus who takes pain and sin and disease and death and injustice and hard, difficult things and like a master painter, takes junk and fashions it into masterpieces. That's our God. That, that's the one who's worked. If he can do that with Satan and the satanic trinity, he's doing that in our lives. And he's never failed us once. And he's not going to fail you today either. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, being awesome. <laughs> and I don't use that word uh, regarding too many things, but you are awesome. And we just acknowledge that uh, you know what you're doing, even when we don't. And I suspect some of my friends right now are uh, right in the middle of situations and circumstances that are confusing. They uh, hurt. They're painful. They're out of control. They're hard. They're difficult. And Lord, these are the times we need to have that that foundation of who you are. So we just acknowledge uh, right now, no matter what we're facing, you're a good God. And you take bad stuff, you take horrible, even evil stuff, and in due time, you make it good. So Lord, thanks for being that awesome God. Lord, may uh, those who are confused, may those who are maybe even uh, a little upset and angry choose to trust you even right now. We, we lay that at your feet. Lord, give us the grace and the strength and the comfort that we need to trust your perfect plan. And Lord, I finally pray for anybody who's here who might be trusting in a counterfeit system. Lord, we know this isn't just future where Satan attempts to get us to buy into rules and regulations and man-made stuff to get our salvation, to earn it, to, to work our way to eternal life. Lord, we realize that's the broad road that leads to destruction. And Lord, if there are any here who've been trying to do it their own way, instead of running to the cross, would you make it obvious that they're on a really bad road that's going to have an awful, eternal ending that's going to be without you? Wake them up to the reality they need to get on the narrow road 
which is a personal relationship with your son Jesus Christ that begins at the cross, that begins with the shed blood, that goes into that, that tomb and early on Sunday morning involves that empty tomb. May today they trust the narrow road. It's, it's your son Jesus. It's the done program, not the do program. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to study your book, even the hard sections. We'll pray all this in Jesus' name.